Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We want to wrap up this series of messages on prayer. And this is a very powerful section of Scripture. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. And we will read through the end of the chapter. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? (coughs) And uh, this is a passage that we'll all read together. The words are up on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Father in heaven, we thank you for this privilege we have to draw near to you. What a joy it is to lift our hearts in worship and praise and to celebrate the greatness of our God. Truly, O God, you are great. You're greatly to be praised. And we have come this morning with thankful hearts. We have come with rejoicing hearts to meet you and to have you meet us. And Lord, we want to see you today. We want you to uh, make yourself known to us in very special ways today. And so we thank you for every person that is here. Thank you, Lord, for what's happening in our nursery and our children's ministries right now. And pray that your blessing would be upon each of these ministries for the glory of Jesus. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit uh, will work in powerful ways in this place today. We dedicate ourselves and these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Excuse me, thanks for the water. I don't know what, what's going on, but I get one of these coughing spells every once in a while. It's kind of strange. I guess it's a part of old age. I want to begin this morning by asking you to ponder the following question. <clears throat> Have you ever realized... Have you ever stopped and realized that God is preparing you to answer your own prayer? Let me say this one more time. Have you ever stopped and thought about the reality that God in his mercy and grace is preparing you to answer your own prayer? Now, Prayer is really our hotline to God. We pray most often because we have needs. We need divine intervention in our lives. And we come before God and with expectant faith we ask of him, confident that God hears and will respond in a way that is very consistent with his will for our lives. Prayer is the way in which we connect with God. It is the way we approach God when we're facing a crisis. When people are going through times of difficulty and discouragement and don't know which way to turn more often than not, they turn to God in believing prayer. 
And prayer is the resource that unleashes the resources of heaven. And so prayer is mighty. Prayer is powerful. But have you ever thought that God may have equipped you to answer your own prayer? For what have you been praying for lately? What has been God laying upon your heart that you've been asking him that he would direct and lead you? Can it be that as we pray, God is also preparing us to answer our own prayers? Let me explain. A local missionary-minded group had been praying that God would provide the necessary funds to send out a new missionary. They had been praying and seeking God earnestly that the funds would be there so that they could send out a new missionary. And so when the chairman of the missions group took a look at their financial statement, he noted that they had a healthy financial balance. And he said, why don't we take this healthy financial balance and set it aside to send out this new ministry? Now, the idea of answering our own prayer seems heretical. We assume that if we pray, God will respond in his own timing, without human assistance. But sometimes when we go to God in prayer, he not only wants us to pray, he wants us to activate our prayers. And can it be that many of us are just on the edge of answering our own prayer if we really understood how God is at work in our lives. I think of Lawrence C. Jones. He was a Christian African-American who founded the Piney Woods Country, school of Lo Country Life School in Hines County, Mississippi. He began the school with only a dollar and 65 cents in his pocket and three students gathered around a pine stump classroom. And today, Piney Woods School has grown into a flourishing ministry with thousands of graduates. His principle for success was this, quote, keep on praying as if everything depends on God and then keep on working as if everything depends on you. You cannot get discouraged if you do that, unquote. And I believe this is what Jesus is encouraging us to do here as he challenges his disciples in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38 when he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, <clears throat> when you consider the context, the Lord has been with his disciples for quite some time now. They have seen many of the needs of the world and they have seen the Lord respond to those needs. But now he is praying for his disciples that they would pray that additional workers would come forth. And therefore he gives them the opportunity to respond to their own prayer because in the very next chapter, chapter 10 and verse 1, you'll note that Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out every evil spirit and every disease and every sickness. I believe that we as God's people need to be open to the possibility of answering our own prayers. 
Jesus gives us three reasons for doing that here in this particular passage of Scripture. First of all, the world is in widespread trouble. You see this in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our world today is exploding with population. It is estimated that at the time of Christ, there were between 200 and 300 million people on the earth. When William Carey launched the modern missionary movement in 1800, the world's population was approximately 900 million. Today, the world's population is over 8 billion people. You and I are experiencing a population explosion that is really unprecedented. People are being born into our world. They're being born into a culture that, for many of them, they knew not God. And when Jesus looks at the masses of people, he takes a look at the crowds the Bible says that he is moved with compassion. Compassion. He's touched to the core of his being by the suffering and the trauma that is happening worldwide. And I want you to just stop and think this morning. Here we are in Traverse City, Michigan, in a nice comfortable worship center where probably at least two-thirds of people today are worshiping underground or they're worshiping in situations where they could be interrupted. You think of the masses today in Ukraine that are being mercilessly slaughtered. It is unbelievable what's happening in Ukraine. Little children living in bomb shelters, moms giving birth in bomb shelters. You take a look at the suffering that's going on in India and some of these other third world countries of people that are starving, living in squalor. When Jesus looks at the masses, he is touched with compassion. When he sees what's happening in our cities today, the murder, the violence, we've all been touched by what's going on there in Idaho with these four students that have been slashed. Nobody seems to know where the murderer is. There's bloodshed all over our cities. The drug addiction, all of the issues that are facing our world today. And Jesus looks on the world and he feels compassion. I think so many times we as the people of God get so used to seeing this stuff that we've grown numb to it. Doesn't touch us anymore. Well, that's what happens to them. It will not happen to us. Don't be so sure about that. We are living in a world that is being prepared, I believe, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this violence and all of this bloodshed and all of this, the innocent people. Take a look at what's happening in some of these. The elderly that are being attacked. Young moms with little kids. It's, it, it is unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm overwhelmed by it. 
And it doesn't seem to bother us. It's just the way it is. You know, things are going to get worse before they get better. We get into this kind of a, 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 a fatalistic attitude and we forget. We forget that Jesus is moved with compassion. Compassion. And as Christ looks out and sees the world in widespread trouble, from Matthew's eyewitness perspective, notice how Jesus sees the masses. He sees them as harassed and helpless. The original word for that word harassed means they have been flayed or fleeced. They are mangled and bleeding. Our world is a world that is filled with broken, mangled, bleeding people. They're worn out by sin. They're worn out by the mess that many times they've created themselves. And they desperately need some outside help. They desperately need someone to intervene in their lives. They're harassed. They're helpless. And these verbs paint a picture of what can happen to sheep when they have no shepherd. Jesus looks at our world this morning as sheep who have left the security of the sheepfold. And they've gone out on their own. And they're doing their own thing. They do whatever they want to do and let the chips fall where they may. And in doing their own thing and not following their shepherd, the sheep have fallen among wolves. Their fleece has been torn. Their flesh has been torn. They are bleeding. They lay on the mountainside completely exhausted and half dead because they ventured away from their shepherd. Does that make any difference to us? What a dramatic picture this is of people without Christ. Harassed and helpless. They're shepherdless sheep. Their lives are a mangled mass of broken toys, shattered dreams, unfulfilled promises. They feel displaced and discarded because they've abandoned the shepherd of their souls, the one who has such compassion for them and who keeps on loving them in spite of all their wrongdoing. And it is the compassion of Jesus that causes him to pursue after the lost. We don't hear much today about the lostness of man. We don't think about it. And yet it was uppermost in the mind of Jesus. Keep your finger there in Matthew 9. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. He tells a parable. Beginning at verse 3, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person, persons who do not need to repent. 
Jesus is concerned for lost people. And though our world is in deep trouble this morning, the Good Shepherd, he looks at our world and he's filled with compassion. He sees the masses torn and mutilated and flayed and his heart's touched. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And the reason I believe we're to be ready to answer our own prayers is that lost people matter to God and they need the message of Christ's love. Instead of praying for the lost, maybe God is nudging some of us to start building relationships with the lost and to get outside our Christian bubble and get into the messy world of people who are flayed and fleeced and who have no perspective because they've left God out of their lives and when we do we will be answering our own prayer that God would send forth workers into his harvest number two the window of opportunity is wide open. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, these shepherdless sheep are ready for the message of the gospel. The gospel is the antidote for shepherdless sheep wandering aimlessly through the corridors of life. And you'll remember that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he was always concerned about the down and outer. He was always concerned about those who were destitute. He would always reach out to the poor and the disenfranchised. Indeed, during his earthly ministry, Jesus covers an incredible amount of territory without a car, without a truck, without a bus, without a train, without an airplane. He covers an incredible amount of territory. And Josephus, the historian, tells us that at the time of Jesus, there were not less than 204 cities and populous villages in Galilee at that time. And Jesus endeavors to get the gospel to as many people as possible. His earthly ministry is always characterized by reaching out to others by redirecting their priorities, reshaping their values, introducing them to the living God who can meet the deepest needs and longings of their heart. And you'll note here in verse 35 that Jesus is a teacher, a preacher, and a healer. And as a teacher, Jesus builds on the Old Testament revelation. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fill the law full of meaning. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to the coming of the Messiah. By his very life, Jesus demonstrated that the kingdom of God is near. It is among you. He is the teacher. He is the one who can bring life and liberty. And as a preacher, Jesus heralds the message that God loves the world. God's love is the bridge between human brokenness 
and a loving God. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why we don't take this message very seriously anymore is that we don't really believe in the doctrine of the lostness of men and women apart from Christ. A recent survey among collegians, 95% of whom come from Orthodox or Evangelical churches, of those who were surveyed, only 37% believe that people are lost apart from a personal relationship with God. That means that our young people today and many evangelical churches have no concept of the lostness of man. They believe there are many ways to God. And that's why the new age has taken off which denies the supernatural character of Christ and says that there are many ways to God. That's what's receiving widespread attention on our campuses along with atheism and agnosticism. But the facts of Scripture still remain. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And Jesus himself put it very clearly in John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These truths, my friends, are not the personal opinions of your pastor. They are the words of this book. This book. And in the past, obedience to Christ and the conviction that people are lost apart from a personal encounter with Christ, that's what motivated thousands to risk their lives for the gospel. J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, I, quote, I would never have thought of going to China had I not believed that the Chinese were lost and needed Christ. David Livingston, upon being asked why he would spend his life in the jungles of Africa, said, quote, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out where people are dying in complete darkness than in this land which is flooded with light. Unquote. You see, Jesus is a herald. Jesus proclaims the gospel. He's not only the teacher and preacher, he is the healer. He meets the physical needs of those that would come to him. The Bible tells us in Luke 5 and verse 31 that he's the great physician. He's touched, the Bible says, with the feelings of our infirmities. He's always reaching out to those that are helpless and hurting. To those whose society has abandoned and ignored. And because the window of opportunity is so open, because the harvest is plentiful, we must seize the moment and answer our own prayers by becoming involved in the harvest. Why? Why should we be involved in the harvest? Notice, 
The harvest is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Let's stop and think about this for a minute. He is pleading with us to be involved in that which is so important to him that he laid down his life. The harvest is the Lord's. And you and I have the privilege to participate in the harvest that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's challenging us to break out of our own little worlds and participate in his worldwide cause. Number three. The workforce is way too small. In spite of all the technological breakthroughs and satellite communication networks, the task of reaching the world is far from over. Indeed, after 50 years of missionary activity, only a third of the world's exploding populations, think of it, just a third have heard the name of Jesus. We have heard the name Jesus so many times. We have so many Bibles in our homes. We've been exposed to Christian radio and Christian television. We can get all kinds of Christian programming on the internet. We're numb. We're numb to the reality that God is calling us to. It's interesting to me that when he sees the masses, he doesn't command the apostles to increase their speed, to get really busy with frenzy activity. Notice he asks them to pray. Verse 37, verse 38, excuse me, ask the Lord of the harvest. Tom Wells, in his book, A Vision for Missions, puts it this way, prayer is the first work in the harvest. The reason is not hard to find. It is this, the harvest has the Lord. He oversees the harvest. Someone supplies the workers. Someone controls the progress, and that someone is God. Our first business is not to look at the size of the harvest. Our first business is to pray to our God. And that is why Jesus pleads with his disciples. And he's pleading with us today. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That word ask is a very strong imperative. He is begging us. He is pleading with us. Please, please send out workers into the harvest. This is the prayer of the Lord Jesus. Please, please, God, move in people's hearts. God today is looking for activists for the kingdom. He's looking for people who will stand up for him. He's looking for people who are workers. who understand that their work does not belong to them, it is God's work. 
And the choices are clear. We must obey. The harvest field belongs to the Lord. Do you realize what an incredible privilege we have been given as the people of God to participate in that great harvest? (laughs) What a privilege! What a privilege God has given us to be involved in that which is closest to his heart. He's moved with compassion. Are we moved with compassion? Or do we just kind of, oh, well, you know, I don't want to get involved. That's, that's, no, that's kind of messy. I don't want to get involved there. Jesus got involved with the messes of other people's lives. He was concerned about others. And I believe God is looking today for people who will earnestly ask God to raise up and send out workers in his harvest. And he is looking for people who will volunteer and answer their own prayer. As soon as Jesus challenges his disciples to pray, notice the Lord of the harvest. In chapter 10, verse 1, he calls them together. He gives them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every evil, uh, every sickness and disease. Jump down to verse 7. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely who have received, freely give. You see, prayer conditions us to God's will. Prayer molds us into men and women of God. Prayer prepares us for ministry. How often have you heard a missionary come back from the field and in their testimony they will say something like this, I never dreamed that God could use me like this. That was not part of my plan. But the word of God spoke to me, and I responded, and I did what was not easy. I did, but it didn't come natural. I I followed the Lord. I could never have believed how God could use me in this way. I believe each one of us, God wants to use in ways that are beyond anything we could ever imagine. But it's not enough for us to pray that others be sent out. We too must be ready to go. And that's where the Great Commission comes in. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, the Great Commission needs to be tied to this passage here in Matthew chapter 9. We are all called to go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is simply a person who believes that the greatest thing in all the world is to be in love with Jesus and to share his love with others. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a lifelong learner who's been so captured by the love of Jesus that he can't keep quiet about Jesus. 
He loves Jesus. And he understands that he's been giving marching orders to pray, to send, to go, but there's more. I want you to follow the logic of Christ. Notice in Matthew 9, 38, the harvest is the world. In Matthew 28, the world is all nations. Both in Matthew 9 and Matthew 28, the call is for workers. And he doesn't divide us into categories. He doesn't say that he's looking for missionaries to take the gospel across the pond or across the Pacific to pagans. He doesn't call pastors to teach God's word. He calls workers. He's looking for workers today. God is a worker. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. God created man and women to work. Our work, our vocation, has great significance to God. And too many of us have had the mistaken idea that if we're working in the marketplace, that our life has no purpose. It will only become significant when we retire and get involved in a Christian ministry. That's not true. Your work is your vocation, and God has placed you in those strategic locations to be a worker for God. And your influence is just as powerful as any missionary or pastor. And I think we have given young people the wrong idea today that the only way you can follow Jesus is to be a missionary or a pastor. Listen, God is looking for outstanding young men and women today who are gifted in science, mathematics, technology, computer programming. He is looking for young people, men and women of God, who will get involved in harvest. That's what he's after. God calls many of us to different pursuits. But to go and descend is to all workers. Your work is a place in which you can answer your own prayer. Your work is not only where you make a living, but you make a life. And by answering your own prayer that God would send forth workers, you see that place of work. You see the skills and the gifts that God has given you as an opportunity to be a herald, to share the gospel with people who will never hear it from me. They won't come to church, they're not going to hear it from a missionary but they will hear it from those who are workers involved in the harvest. And so my challenge to you is simply this. Will you? Will you be a worker for God? 
Will you answer your own prayer? There are some of us that have been praying for a long time that God would send forth laborers. Are we praying that our young people who are skilled in so many diverse fields today, do you realize we need young men and women in politics that are Christian to the core? We need people in political science. We need people in history. We need young men and women who will stand for God no matter what he calls them to do. He's not just calling missionaries and pastors, friends. He's calling all of us in the marketplace. That's where the action is. Far too long, we as a church, and I'm talking about the church at large, have marginalized the workers no more. God's calling workers. Job was an agriculturalist. Daniel was a civic leader. And God used these men in ways that were beyond anything they could ever imagine. Let me just wrap it up by saying simply this this morning. People matter to God. And they ought to matter to us. God calls us, he calls workers, to participate in the harvest. Instead of praying for someone else to enter the harvest, will you answer your own prayer this morning and enter that harvest? God's marching orders for the church are simply these. Pray, participate, pursue. Go, send, pray. Pray. Watch all about your heads in prayer. No looking around. I don't know the last time when you were maybe asked to make a commitment like this. But as a young person, even as an older person, God is calling you. And this morning, you want to commit your life to being a worker for God. Maybe it's not a pastor. Maybe it's not a missionary. But maybe you are committed to being a Christian scientist or a Christian historian or a Christian computer programmer. Whatever God has called you and gifted you to do, today you want to commit to using that skill set that God has given you and you're going to participate in the harvest. You're going to answer your own prayer. If that's your heart this morning, why don't you just to stand up? No looking around. Just stand up.
What about a young person? You got to stop playing games and start answering your own prayer. God's looking for gifted people. Father in heaven, you see every single person that has stood up. There's a host of them standing. There are enough people standing here that could change the trajectory of Traverse City if we just answer our prayer and get involved in the harvest. Lord, I commit each of these individuals to you. May they not forget this commitment that they have made to you, not to me, but to you. And may you take the skills and the gifts and the passions of these individuals and use those gifts and passions to change the world in whatever sphere you've placed them. I pray that the harvest will continue to yield great fruit because of the commitment of these who have yielded themselves to you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. And now let's all stand together. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Lo, he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.